article fed along with Rich DeCray. Um, it's postseason time for softball, so we got to jump right into that. Talk a little bit of uh, softball hosting the Norman Regional, and then beyond that, uh, would be hosting the Super Regional, number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, we got some football recruiting updates for you. Also, we're going to rank. From worst to first, the uh, Big 12 quarterbacks, kind of, sort of, meaning the quarterbacks that we know are going to be playing and starting in the 2019. So we got to talk a little bit uh, about Oklahoma baseball as they get ready to wrap up their regular season uh, with a big trip to Austin, Texas. Uh, Rich DeCray, how you doing, man? I'm all right, you know, just uh, trying to avoid any storms that are coming through Oklahoma, but I cannot complain. Well, I got no storm issues where I am, so uh, that's that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, here we go. Uh, Norman Regional, um, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, UMBC. First question for you, sir, is do you know what UMBC stands for? Had I not looked it up, I would not have. When I <laughs> when I hear the term UMB. See, and I, I know that this isn't accurate, but my mind instantly goes towards Mary Harden Baylor, which, like I said, it's not accurate, but that's kind of where my mind floats to as it concerns those four letters specifically. Yeah, well, it actually stands for University of Maryland, Baltimore County. That's who Oklahoma will play on Friday at 830. Um, look, there kudos to them they're they're the cinderella story so to speak of this of this regional uh picked dead last in their conference ended up winning the conference championship gets that automatic berth and now you get to play the number one team in the country oklahoma City, 49 and 2 uh umbc 30 and 12 on the season i'm obviously more interested in notre dame and wisconsin uh because they'll play that first game at six o'clock and you're assuming oklahoma is going to win that game uh, at 8.30 on Friday night, which put, would put them against either Notre Dame or Wisconsin. I got to be honest with you, I, I feel like I like Wisconsin a little bit more in this one than I do Notre Dame. I, I'm i going to take the opposite side of the fence here from you, um, and it's strictly based off of the Big, Twi- the Big Ten doesn't consistently produce top-tier talent when it comes to the realm of not to say independents are doing any better at this point in time. But again, like I said, with that track record, I'm just not putting a whole lot of stock in a program that's come from a Big Ten, what is considered to be a weak conference, generally speaking. Yeah, but Notre Dame 36 and 16, um, I don't know, man. There, there, there's not a lot of separation there. And I'll, I just, we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. Here's how the schedule lines up Friday, you got Notre Dame, Wisconsin, six o'clock. Oklahoma, UMBC around 8.30. Saturday, the two winners will play each other to, to lead off that Saturday competition at 3 o'clock. And then the two losers in the first elimination game at 5.30. And then the loser of that first game at 3 o'clock will play the winner uh, the second game at 8 o'clock for that final elimination setting up your championship Sunday. Uh, first game at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And then if necessary, you've got the 3.30 game for, for all the marbles. The winner of this regional will end up playing the winner of the Evanston Regional where you've got Northwestern, Detroit Mercy, Southern Illinois, and Louisville. And look, man, I I, I think Oklahoma, you just, just looking at it on paper, you've got a pretty good roadmap paved there, even if they weren't already the number one team in the country. Yeah, absolutely. Oklahoma appears to be firing on all cylinders at this point in time. You can talk about the transformation that Jocelyn Allo has had after taking a weekend off away from the team, really to recenter herself or regather um, upon what made her so successful as a freshman. We've talked about this time and time again, Matt, when it looks uh, just looking up and down the lineup from number one to number nine, how strong this team truly is. But now you're getting the pitching once again, firing on all cylinders. I know I'm, I'm going to say that term a lot. I feel like as far as the Oklahoma Sooners are concerned, but with G Juarez in the circle, they're going to put up pretty good fights against any program. And when you're looking at the number one seed hosting in Norman in front of a home crowd, I'm putting my, if I'm a betting man here, Matt, I'm putting all my money on Oklahoma to potentially go through this regional undefeated. 
Well, that's what that's what's going to be my next question. By the way, that home crowd, the, I don't know if you saw this, the regional sold out in eight minutes. Um, I did. I did. But I, I got was, I was Yeah, well, so did I, but whatever. Um, yours, wow. yours and mine are a little bit different than um, <laughs> the eight-minute sellout tickets. Question here, though, you, so you, that's where I was going to go. Does OU drop a game in this regional? Again, I'll reiterate what I've said. At, at the level that Oklahoma is playing at, I think they're going to be extremely difficult to beat. Any and all challengers can and will come. I just don't know how close they're going to get to a team that is the caliber of Oklahoma this year. The experience plus these freshmen have really – the freshmen ha have grown tremendously throughout the season. We want to talk about Grace Green, who's following in the footsteps of Jocelyn Allo as a freshman, could potentially be the freshman of the year. I know she's a candidate, one of the top ten, but again, when I'm just answering your question here, I know it takes five wins to get to the Women's College World Series. I think Oklahoma has a really good shot of running into the Women's College World Series five games without a loss. Okay, so then next question, then let's move on to Sunday. You've got Oklahoma there undefeated on Sunday. Who are they playing to move on to the Super Regional? Of the other three teams in the in the Norman Regional, who, who do you have advancing to that championship round against well, Oklahoma? Like, like I said, I, this isn't to count anyone out. I know that UMBC doesn't – they don't have anything to lose. And they're going to come in with that attitude, and, and they're going to give – each team that they face, they're going to give them everything that they have because, like I said, they've got nothing to lose in this situation. When I'm looking at who that challenger is, I, I am going to stray away from UMBC. And instead, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at that Notre Dame and Wisconsin. And you've asked me this game previously, or asked me this game, asked me this question previously as it concerns Notre Dame and Wisconsin. I I, I am saying it's going to be one of those two. Not 100% certain on that, but the odds are ever in their favor. I'm still going with Notre Dame, Matt, and I know that we could split hairs on that all night long, but the reality is it's it's just an opinion. Well, we wouldn't be a typical Sooner Nation podcast if you and I didn't stand on opposite sides of the fence on something. I'm with you on UMBC. They're the feel-good story, but we saw that story last year with Boston University, who had actually even beaten Oklahoma uh, in the regular season, comes to Norman for that regional, uh, gets swept out. And uh, I, I don't expect anything different this year from UMBC. But I do. I'm, I'm, I'm going Wisconsin. You're going Notre Dame. We'll see on Sunday mm -hmm. uh, how that how that sets up. Now, I'm on the Evanston Regional, and this reason why it's important, like we talked about earlier, the, the winner of the Evanston Regional ends up playing Oklahoma uh, in the Super well, Regional. assuming Oklahoma wins, like we're predicting. Right. So I'm don't, going. Don't up, jump the gun here, Matt. Don't jump listen, the gun. I, I'm going upset city here because we do need to keep an eye on this regional. I'm going upset upset city, and I'm saying Southern Illinois comes out of that regional and will be in Norman uh, with a chance to go to the Women's College World Series. You got a reason for that one? Uh, just I, I, I like their <laughs> I like their oh uh, same reason I like Oklahoma. I like their pitching. I like their hitting. I think they're. I think they're just enough uh, to to get past Northwestern, who who will be the regional host. And I'm not even sure Northwestern is the best team there. I, I like Louisville as well. But I just I feel like that that's a regional that's up for grabs. Uh, you take Detroit Mercy out of that, uh, they're kind of the UMBC of that regional. But you you've got three there that uh, clearly I think. I, there's no way anyone's running through that regional undefeated, in my opinion. And I think Southern Illinois has the has the bats uh, that can just fly with with the other one team there and, and have a puncher's chance of getting out of that regional. That's why I I'm like that. that I, I do like that analysis from you. I know that each of these programs, they're hosting for a reason. They were picked of the 64 teams to be one of the top 16 national seeds. And it's hard to overlook a team like Northwestern, but Matt, I, I've got to stay, stay true to my colors. Big 10, not a, an extremely strong conference outside of Michigan, who's put up some impressive numbers as well as players throughout the years. But Southern Illinois, I, I think, can surprise some people. They haven't played quite as many games as some of these other programs across the nation have. They haven't played as many games as those who will be in this regional have even 
I'm not counting Louisville in at this point in time. Detroit Mercy, I'll go ahead and count them out. I'll be on the same side of the fence as you are. But I, I'm just going to back you on this one. I think Southern Illinois can make some noise. They could potentially shock the number 16 seeded Northwestern. All right. You're listening to Sooner Nation Podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. All right, let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's change it from softball to football uh, because let's be honest, football pays the bills and it's the most, it's always going to be the most um, most popular um, topic when you're talking sports in the in the state of Oklahoma. Recruiting two weeks in a row, Bill Beanbo lands a, a high-ranked offensive tackle, uh, this time in Noah Nelson, 6'8", 285, um, offensive tackle becomes the eighth member of Oklahoma's class for 2020, just the second offensive tackle. Um, and 24 seven sports currently has Oklahoma ranked, uh, with the top recruiting class in the big 12. I don't see that changing. I know it always goes back and forth between now and December in that early signing period. Uh, the sooner is number 14 nationally. I do believe that number will change because I don't see the way that this is trending for Oklahoma in 2020. Don't really see this not being a top 10 class. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Oklahoma under the, the direction of Lincoln Riley has done an exceptional job at recruiting. And we're not just talking about the offensive side of the ball. Of course, you talk about offensive linemen being added to the 2020 class as commitments. You talk about the five-star recruit who is a running back, kind of the headliner of this recruiting class so far. I think there's one, maybe two more five-stars that you're looking at, uh, potentially another running back, even with this Oklahoma 2020 recruiting class. But I'm more curious to know what they're going to do on the defensive side of the ball. I fully believe that the recruits they're able to pull in are going to carry this specific recruiting class up through the rankings and it's going to be those four-star defensive ends defensive backs etc that Oklahoma is targeting from across the nation as well as getting in early on a couple of these guys who are just seeing their stock rise in these first several months as everyone begins attending camps gets that national exposure they're starting to draw interest from those guys as well. So it's going to be an interesting recruiting class, Matt. I do believe that they'll finish top 10. It's just by the, the very nature of competing in the college football playoff as much as Oklahoma has. But again, the product on the field speaks for itself. When we're talking about the offensive side of the ball, there's still some progress to be made defensively. But hey, if Alex Grinch is who we believe that he is, I, I think he can get the job done. Well, and that's, I mean, again, that's, it always comes back when you're, when you're talking about Alex Grinch, it always comes back to, to two things. Uh, number one is at time, uh, because that leads to the second thing, which is he, he, it's still the same 11 guys. And it, we, we keep talking about this and that's not going to change. It's, he still has the same, basically the same makeup of guys to work with on this defense. And he's got to figure that out. He's got to figure out how to get more out of this group, you know, and, and they went through that gauntlet of emotions last year to from Mike Stoops being too hard and too mean uh, to, and I hate to say, say it in the way that they needed to be coddled a little bit, but that's kind of what it sounded like to Ruffin McNeil, who was kind of the player's coach got kind of, you know, became their father figure and, and so forth, but neither one of those approaches yielded results. And so when you've got two defensive coordinators approaching with two different style points and neither one of those yield results, you, you got to look back at the players. And, and when you look at the class of 2020, I, I do feel like defense is going to be a, a, a staple in that class. And, and honestly, Rich, I, I feel like, you know, you got Deontay Manning, who is a four-star corner who kind of, you know, goes there with Ryan Watts uh, on the other four-star corner, four-star corner. And I feel like those are like the, the bookends for this defensive class beyond that i still think they're evaluating there's offers out there but i think oklahoma's approaching this just a little bit cautiously because these this first this first full class for alex grinch is going to be what his foundation is with this defense it's not going to change a lot in 2019 and we and we've talked about that as well. If they can move from the from 118 into the low 80s, upper 70s, it'll make a world of difference the way Lincoln Riley runs the offense. But the flip side of that is 
it's it, these guys can can they mentally and physically make that much of a change when you're talking about schematics and I'm more worried about where they are mentally than I am where they are physically and this first class coming in for 2020 uh, is going to be really what I believe Grinch begins to to build his his class off of that's why or excuse me his foundation off of and that's why I believe they're they're approaching this cautiously because they know some of these guys they're offering for 2020 are going to have to come in and be immediate contributors either by actually getting on the field or by pushing seriously pushing the guys that are ahead of them on the depth chart. Yeah. And Matt, I I'm on board with you, but I also think there's potential here that it starts this year and I'm not talking specifically or necessarily about the players who are already on the roster. There are some major holes that Oklahoma needs to fill within the recruiting ranks. I know we're looking out further, but I do believe that there are some potential transfers that are still in the pipeline that could come down in Oklahoma's favor. It's yet to be seen. I know one of the most popular names that's being thrown around right now is Chris Steele and what's happened with the Florida Gators with him. The number number five cornerback recruit in the class last year signs things go a little bit south there. I, I've only seen what's happened on Twitter since the announcement, but needless to say, I think there's potential that if Oklahoma really wants this guy, they can make a push for him and, if he's granted an immediate eligibility from the NCAA, he could be a guy who competes for playing time. That's yet yeah. to be seen as, well, as nothing's here's, happened, here's but you, it's an interesting storyline. Yeah, but here's what you don't know about that is that he's he's at Oregon. He, he committed to go to Oregon. Oh, did he? Yeah, I think you because that, that just broke today. So I'm I'm not I I was in the same same uh, line of thought with you because there's also also a relationship there with him and Buki. But uh, but today he committed – the day we're recording this podcast, uh, he committed to mm-hmm. go to the Oregon Ducks. And I know time zones are way different. I'm still early in my day where you are uh, than where you are, where you're late in your day. Uh, so, anyway, I was able to catch up on that. Uh, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that catch. But, Matt, it, it goes a little bit further than that as well. I'm not just looking at Chris Still. I was looking at him as the, the biggest name on the market for a potential program because of the four years of eligibility. But I'm still looking at that. We've talked about this numerous times as well, that defensive tackle position. Right. Well, and that took a big I mean, hit with the, with the, uh, with the, the transfers out, you know, that, that's right. got, that's got, you're right. That, and, that, and that's why I'm saying, I think they're going to, they're cautiously approaching this, because whoever they mm-hmm. get is going to have to be someone who can either immediately contribute or really push those guys that are going to be ahead of him when he arrives on campus, because that is a key position for what Alex Grinch wants to do with his front seven. Yep. Slim trim and fast, right? That's so right. We're, All that's right. What we're going for. We're about to have some fun with uh, big 12 quarterbacks. You're listening to Sooner Nation, the only podcast of Heartland Sports. Uh, catch us at Twitter at Sports Heartland at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Okay, Rich. Uh, Big Twelve quarterbacks. Here's the thing. This is there's a. I don't remember a time recently when there was this much turnover at the quarterback position. And arguably, you know, I don't even know this that that arguably, but in the Big Twelve, when you're talking about the offenses that the Big Twelve runs. Most important position on the field is the quarterback. Six of the 10 teams in the Big 12 are replacing their signal callers from last season. Of those six teams, really only Oklahoma has their man in place. And, and even though they haven't officially announced it, there's no way that anybody's going to believe after Oklahoma spring game that it's anyone other than Jalen Hurts who's taking the reins of Lincoln Riley's offense to become the next uh, big signal caller. But Baylor, no particular order, Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech, all have returning quarterbacks going into the 2019 season, if you count Jalen Hurts as an established starter from his time at Alabama. So what we want to do, much like we did last week with the Big 12 teams in general, we're just going to take these five teams because six through 10 – 
we don't really know because we don't know who are going who those starting quarterbacks are going to be. And so that's kind of just a, a game of, of endless speculation. So let's play a limited game of speculation here and let's rank these quarterbacks from worst <laughs> to first. Uh, so from worst to first in the big 12 amongst the guys that we know who are going to be the starting signal callers, your fifth guy right now, Rich, I'm going to let you go first. Tell me who it is. Yeah, this one was fairly easy for me picking at number five. I've got to go with with Baylor and and Charlie Brewer. When we're looking at a guy who essentially took one of the biggest leaps from being a freshman to a sophomore, you immediately think of Charlie Brewer. I, I get uh, that the numbers may be down in comparison to some of the other Big 12 quarterbacks, specifically in the touchdown department, but... Baylor's success, a, a lot of this rise, a lot of this curve upward or trend upward that they're on is due to that progression that he made. It's unfortunate that he's at number five, but that's where I've got him at at this point in time. All right. Well, clearly we're not going to see eye to eye on this because I think even if you put the other uh, five quarterbacks that we don't know who they are yet, I think if you if you feel like you mm-hmm. can find four four quarterbacks in the Big 12 that are better than Charlie Brewer – I think you're crazy. Um, my my number five, <laughs> my number five is uh, is Iowa State's Brock Purdy. Um, 2,200 yards last wow. year, 16, 16 touchdowns, completed 66% of his passes, but um, still young, going into his sophomore year. Uh, this coming year, I feel like he's a guy that has a lot of potential, but he's not quite to where the other four are that I have ranked ahead of him. So Brock Purdy, one of my favorite quarterbacks in the big 12, he, he's tough, uh, both mentally and physically, uh, led, led Iowa state to that, that upset, uh, at Oklahoma state in Stillwater kind of put him on the map, uh, but limited experience. I, I've got him number five, number four. Okay. I'll, I'll okay. just go ahead and, and rotate into my number four guy, uh, going out to Lubbock, Texas for Alan Bowman. Again, a true freshman in 2018, Almost 70% uh, pass completion, but here I got two questions. I because I feel like I feel like Al Bowman, in my opinion, is not far from being number one on this list. Truthfully, I think he's that talented, but there's two big question marks about him that that pushes him down below the other three guys I have ahead of him. The the first question mark is his health. He, you know, he he was limited to just eight games uh, in 2018 because of the partially collapsed lung. You know, can he be healthy for a full season? I know sometimes it's not fair to ask that about guys after they're overcoming an injury, but the reality is that's what you've got to ask about a guy who's overcoming an injury uh, along those lines. And the second thing is, is with the coaching change, I, you know, Cliff Kingsbury's gone, and and I know that that they want to continue to do the run and gun, but at what at what rate do they do it? What's the what's the relationship to the quarterbacks going to be there? Is it similar or is it the same or is it even better than what Cliff Kingsbury had? Those are things that we don't know. And because of that, I've got him down at number four on my list. Who's your number four? I actually have Alan Bowman as my number four as well. We hey, we agree on something. Yeah, I know at Texas Tech you have to be an accurate passer. I think that's exactly what they get in an Alan Bowman. As you've mentioned, that nearly 70% completion percentage suffers that injury i'm asking the same question that you're asking with so much pressure being put on the quarterback the the other question i'm asking is can a guy like alan bowman handle all of that during this time of transition because everybody's going to be looking to him to lead this team and they're only going to go as far as Alan can carry them i'm not trusting in that defense i'm not trusting in the running game to carry this it's all alan bowman and what his arm can do again an incredible talent, an incredibly tough kid. Uh, I've got him at number four um, for no no real reason outside of I think there are a couple of better quarterbacks on the list ahead of him. <laughs> so I'll jump into to number three, Matt. And this one is is I really split hairs over this one, uh, but I'm I'm going to go with. You want to take a guess? No, okay. Sam no, I was gonna, Ellinger yeah, at number I was three. Say you're, you're either going Ellinger or Purdy here. 
Um, yeah, so. and I'm I'm still sitting on the fence about it at, at this point in time. Um, but I, it's out there now. I'm going with Sam Ellinger. The when I look at Sam Ellinger, I, I think of another tough kid who exemplifies this tenacity that's required to compete on the Division One level and have a team begin to circle the wagons around you as an individual. I don't ever question the toughness of him. I do question his ability to pass though. A 61% career passer. We did see that number bump up from first year to second year. He's entering a third year, losing some of those receivers. Excuse me. Can he be just as productive knowing that he'll be handed the reins 100% this year? Doesn't have to look over his shoulder and think that someone could potentially steal that job from him. I don't know that he's going to be the Heisman talent that a lot of people around the Texas program are saying that he can be definitely an incredible competitor, but I've got him at number three on the list right now. And it's a lot of it has to do with the accuracy and taking a sack in the big 12 championship in the end zone. Well, and that, that safety is a big reason why I have him at number three and not two or number one. Wow. Because, and, and I'm glad you have him at number three because I was afraid that just it was biased that I can't say Ellinger is one of the top two quarterbacks in the Big 12. But the reality is he is a better quarterback than what a lot of people give him credit for. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, north of, of the state of Texas want to really kind of criticize him for his arrogance and his cockiness. He, he, he has that Johnny Menzel swagger to him where he's not afraid to make fun of people. He's not afraid to shoot his mouth off and so forth. But the reality is he's not a bad quarterback. You know, it was 64% completion last year, MVP of the Sugar Bowl. Uh, he's, he's a threat with his legs as well. I ran for 16 touchdowns last season, 482 yards on the ground, but he still makes small mistakes that are critical in big time atmospheres. Texas could have, you know, Texas could be big 12 champs, but he made some mistakes in that game and it wasn't just the safety, but the safety to me is a microcosm of that where he takes an extended drop back. That's again, a, a move that's not necessary. Field awareness is, is very key, key to this quarterback position. Ellinger field awareness should have prevented field awareness alone should have prevented that from being a safety because he shouldn't have dropped extra, you know, back into the end zone. The other thing about that play is that the blitz is coming right at his face. It's not coming from behind him, uh, from the blind side. It's coming right at him. <laughs> and to not be able to recognize that and either – you, you got two options. You recognize that's coming, and either you step forward if you know you can't safely get rid of the ball. You step forward so you get out of the end zone. But, again, field awareness comes into play there. Or you dump the ball. You get it rid of it really fast. Blitz comes at him. He freezes. That was a huge momentum swing for Oklahoma. I mean, just those type of things. And the guy's young. And, and again, he, he's a young guy. He still has two years of eligibility uh, after, you know, after last season. So he's coming into his junior year. He'll make strides to improve. He improved from his freshman year to his sophomore year. There's no doubt in my mind that he'll improve again this year. But the, the, but the big question when you're talking about this offense is – who does he have to work with? You know, we, we talked about some of the receivers that he lost. Texas still hasn't had the ability to put together a solid rushing attack, uh, you know, in his two years as, as quarterback. And then, the, then you, you look at what they lost on the offensive line. Oklahoma is not the only Oklahoma lost the most with four offensive linemen, but they're not the only to lose key offensive linemen. Texas lost them as well. All of those factor in for me putting him at number three instead of uh, instead of two or one. My number two is going to be Charlie Brewer, the guy you have at number five. And I, I think this kid, you know, the, the, to me, the knock against him is interceptions. 19 touchdowns to 11 interceptions last season. He, he's got to clean that up. But 61% completion, he, he cleared 3,000 yards last year. And in Baylor going from one win to seven wins last year, a majority of that is on Charlie Brewer. And I think everyone around them knows that. That's why Matt Rule was so incensed <laughs> when Caleb when when Caleb Kelly broke him in half last year in Norman. The reason why he got that 15-yard penalty and 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 threw that big hissy fit that he threw was because they the value of Charlie Brewer 
And when you, when you look at what he has to work with, the tools that are around him, not a great offensive line, not a great running back core, and, and a decent receiving core. But you, you look at what Kyler Murray had. You look at what Brock Purdy had. You look at what Sam Ellinger had uh, with the offensive line. All those guys that we're talking about, even Alan Bowman, in one aspect or another, they had something better to work with than what Charlie Brewer did, but yet he still cleared 3,000 yards passing, uh, still threw 19 uh, touchdowns, averaged 7.7 yards per attempt. As this team grows around Charlie Brewer, I think he's going to continue to get better and better. He's my number two. At number two, no surprise here for me, I do have Brock Purdy. Again, an accurate passer, a guy who took over midway through the season, produced a 7-2 record in those starts. There's something about this kid, but... It's his ability to throw his receivers open or to at least lead them towards the open field that impresses me the most. It's that kind of quality that's significantly going to push him up this list as he gets older and more experienced. The only way to go up, Matt, is to, to number one, but I like what Brock Purdy's doing on the field. The decisions that he makes, the only, the only real knock I have against him is the number of sacks that he's going to take. I don't know if that's going to change this upcoming year, but they lose one of the better running backs, potentially the best running back in the conference when they lost um, David Montgomery. Almost, yeah. yeah, almost blanked on his last name when they lost him. So who's going to pick up that slack? Who Who's really going to step in and be that guy so a guy like Brock Purdy doesn't have to scramble or doesn't have to take as many sacks because he knows someone's going to step up in that hole and block the pass rusher? Number well, two for also, me. Also, don't forget that uh, – well, let me just say two things about Brock Purdy because I'm a fan, okay? But not only did he lose David Montgomery, also lost Hakeem Butler, who's going to be catching passes from Kyler Murray this fall at, at the Arizona Cardinals. But I do like what he has in the offensive line. I mean, they, they will – go into the season as the most experienced and top-ranked offensive line at this point. Not that Oklahoma or Texas or anybody else can catch them and pass them, but right now he, he's got the best guys to work with up front. Give me your number one. Number one, Matt, I, I know that we're going to agree here, and my reasoning may be significantly different than yours. That number one is Jalen Hurts. I believe that Jalen Hurts has yet to show his true capability on the field. I've shown that. We know he hasn't proven to be the most accurate passer in his time at Alabama, but he's an incredible runner when he decides to take off. And he's much bigger than a guy like Kyler Murray is. So you talk about the potential to break tackles. Not that we want him to do that consistently, but the potential is there. The real reason that I've got – a guy like Jalen Hurts at number one is because of the championship caliber that he possesses that none of these other quarterbacks have. Not only has he won conference championships, he's he championships, he's on national titles. That speaks volumes. And we've seen the leadership that exudes from him in the locker room. And I, I just have to continue as leaning back towards that experience and that championship caliber that he possesses in a single entity. Yeah. Again, you know, it's, it's easy to say bias puts us with Jalen hurts at number one. I mean, on the surface, that's, that's the, the natural play here to say, well, you guys are just biased. And so your quarterback is number one on the list, but you know, the last time we saw Jalen hurts as a starting quarterback was 2017. Uh, even in that year, limited in passing as that team was 60% of his passes were completed. He threw for 17 touchdowns to just one interception. And that's huge right there. That touchdown interception ratio is huge, particularly when you think about how the sec likes to uh, really, you know, the big 12 likes to, to brag about offense. Sec likes to brag about defense playing sec defenses week in and week out to only have one turnover was huge but what a lot of people don't realize and rich you and i talked about this just a little bit last week in conjunction with jalen hurts is that in 2017 he ran for 855 yards at a clip of 5.6 yards per carry and so when you look at last 
started, 60% completion rate. You want that to be a little bit higher, but five and a half yards per carry for almost 900 yards is, is pretty impressive from a quarterback who, one more time, was going up against SEC defenses. And then then you think about the last time we saw the kid play in, in, in significant minutes was in that <laughs> SEC championship SEC game. championship game against Georgia. In which, by the way, he went seven for nine in that game with a touchdown leading Alabama back uh, from, a, you know, leading the fourth quarter comeback uh, to put ultimately put Alabama in the college football playoffs. So there's there's a lot of pedigree like you've talked about, you know, the the championship pedigree. Uh, obviously, I mean, he's improved uh, from when he was a sophomore graduate transfer, you know, the the leadership that he has. Of the guys that we mentioned, I mean, we think about it. Charlie Brewer, Sam Ellinger, Alan Bowman, Brock Purdy. These are all young guys. The biggest advantage that Jalen Hurts is going to have really across the Big 12, he's going to be the most experienced and the most proven quarterback that the conference has this coming year. And that goes a long way. So it's really easy to say bias because the truth is we are a little bit biased. But the reality is when you look at the full resume, you're you're not basing what Jalen Hurts in this projection. You're not basing that off of potential. You're basing that off of what we know about this guy, where Charlie Brewer, Sam Ellinger, Alan Bowman, Brock Purdy. Here's what we know, but the reason they're on this list because of what they can potentially do. Jalen Hurts has already done it. He's number one. I don't feel like we have to be even a little bit apologetic about that. <laughs> No, and and we're not gonna be if right. you want the honest truth. All right. Well, uh, we got a few more things we still got to talk about, Rich. We got to talk about some baseball. Big, 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 big series coming up for Oklahoma baseball this weekend, and then uh, we got to talk if we have some time a little bit of Oklahoma City Thunder because I need to get your uh, get your take on a few things. You're listening to the Sooner Nation podcast. All right, so if you remember last week, one of the things that we talked about was that OU, OU could not afford to get swept by Oklahoma State in the Bedlam series. To me, I, I felt like it was a foregone conclusion that Oklahoma was going to lose that series. But the reality is, man, they, they played a good series against Oklahoma State. They, they won it in extras on Saturday night on a walk-off. They had a chance on Sunday. They led for, for a majority of the game, ended up fading late. But they, they lost that, that game. They lost the series two games to one. Now it puts them in a situation where if they would have won on Sunday, they would have clinched a postseason berth in the Big 12 tournament. They've got to go to Texas, and they've got to do at least the exact same thing, Rich. They, they've got to take two of three from the Longhorns this weekend. And Texas also fighting for their postseason lives if – if Oklahoma gets swept, the odds are that they will not be in the Big 12 tournament, which obviously kills their NCAA tournament uh, opportunity as well. Huge series for Oklahoma. And, and again, what we're seeing from this team is you're seeing improved pitching from them. But, a, you know, Skip Johnson just hasn't reached the point where, with his roster where his bats are catching up with the improvement that his pitching has made. I'm going to disagree with you here. Um, All right, let's do it. Yeah, I do. I do like the progress that we've seen pitching wise. No, we could run down the stats and I could tell you where Oklahoma has been extremely successful, but I only want to point out one when it comes to pitching and that's ERA, because that's really the, the only one that matters at this point in time. When I look nationally, Oklahoma is ranked 32nd, 3.68 ERA each outing. It's not a bad number, especially when it comes to the game of baseball. But on the flip side of that is, is what are they producing offensively here, Matt? What, what are they doing? And, and I'm looking at several numbers that are inside of the top 50, including, well, defensively, they're in the top 20 in some of these. Regardless, I'm looking at sack, sacrifice bunts, which is 10th in the country 27th and sacrifice flies they're able to move batters around the bases once they get them on base the problem is really been getting them home 
I don't know what it's going to take to get them there. Maybe I'm making your point is how you feel about it, but I feel as though Oklahoma has done a successful job of putting runners in scoring position. They just haven't been able to score. And when they do score, the defense gives up something big. We can go back to this Oklahoma State series even, and Oklahoma – took the lead pretty early on. And then what happens? I think it was four to one or three to one. I'd have to go back and look. Oklahoma state has a, a three run inning and, and takes the lead from them at one point in time, Oklahoma answers, they respond. It's, it's just when they start getting things rolling offensively, another area crumbles. It just hasn't ever come together 100% throughout conference play. Oklahoma's 9 and 12. You want to talk about, I know you started this conversation talking about how important this series is, and it's it's extremely important for the life of this team. Yeah, no doubt. Oklahoma, you mentioned 9 and yeah. 12. Uh, they're tied yeah. with Kansas at 9 and 12. They, they have the tiebreaker. They have that advantage over uh, the Jayhawks, Kansas State, 8 and 13. And then Texas, the surprise team in the Big 12, sitting in last spot at 6 and 14. But Texas, again, with a sweep of Oklahoma, puts themselves in position to be in that conference tournament. And and here's what here's what you got to look at. You got Kansas, Kansas State playing each other. You've got Oklahoma, Texas playing each other. If Oklahoma were to get swept by Texas, sitting at 9 and 15 in conference play, if Kansas State's if Kansas State takes the series from Kansas, then then you're looking at both Kansas State and Kansas, but the potential of leaping Oklahoma, even Texas leaping Oklahoma if they sweep them. This is a huge weekend because you, one thing you and I have talked about back and forth on this show is Oklahoma's potential of being in the NCAA tournament where you really felt like they're, they're more of a lock. And I'm just kind of – I've been the reserved here um, – I think it comes down to this weekend. <laughs> you got to, I feel like really truthfully one win at Texas gets them in the NCAA tournament. No doubt about that in my mind. One win gets them in, not the NCAA, sorry. One win gets them into the big 12 tournament. But I feel like if you take the series, then you really set yourself up because overall Oklahoma's 31 and 20 on the season. They've got more wins. We, we, we talked about Kansas, Kansas State, and Texas at 31 wins. They've got more than those four teams put together, not put together, but, you know, I am losing my ability to speak rationally. Kansas had 28 wins. Kansas State and Texas both at 25 wins. <laughs> Oklahoma with a win, you know, that, that puts them at 32 wins which is impressive. And then you make a little bit of noise in the big 12 tournament. You have a chance, but you, again, you lose this series. You're done. I feel like you need, you make two, you, you win the series taking two out of three. Then you really put yourself in, in a good situation, not just for Bricktown, but you put yourself in a good situation for the NCAA tournament. Right. And, and when I look at the conference schedule, Matt, <laughs> It's extremely disappointing, disheartening, I think is the better term to use here. Because you could go all the way back into March um, where uh, Oklahoma f I essentially started this conference losing streak. We look at the Baylor, the West Virginia. They get that win against Kansas State in this series, but then they drop Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. You're looking at the last series the last opportunity to prove yourself worthy not only of a big 12 tournament bid bid but also a ncaa tournament exactly. bid. And, yeah yeah when i when i'm looking at this series and, and talking about are they a lock for the ncaa tournament i felt that way before i mean we got to go back to the that little small non-conference stretch because that's where I felt confident that they were in the NCAA tournament. I didn't expect us to Oklahoma, not necessarily us, but Oklahoma to end the season with potentially three conference series losses. I, I just didn't think that was in the cards with the progress that turnaround that happened jumping out of conference. Again, I've said this, I'll continue to say it. My mind is consistently drawn to comparisons of the basketball team. And I'll leave it at that. Well, I just think it, it goes – and I said the same thing about Lon Kruger, and I think this plays over into baseball a little bit, 
in that the Big 12 knows you. They, they know your style. They know your strengths. They know your weaknesses. No one knows you better than the conference teams. That Not working out for Oklahoma. Well, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, you can have a, a good run non-conference if you set your schedule up right. You, you, you mix in a little bit of, of, of upper end tough competition and then a medium level competition. And you, you mix in those games that you're just trying to get experience for your players and you're going to win. Uh, but you get everyone. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets a snow cone, so to speak. But you go in the conference. They, they know everything about you. They know how to pitch to certain players. They, they know, you know, how to how to disrupt your pitcher's routine. It all goes out the window once you get into conference. And what you're seeing with both of these programs, you're seeing baseball and basketball both build up to where they're, they're looking to be more competitive in conference. They're not there yet, but they're on their way. I, I'm shocked. I will be shocked if next year for a long Kruger wasn't better than what we've seen the last two years. Same thing with Skip Johnson, based on the steps that you see them taking in that right direction. It's just, again, once you get into conference play, that, that's the ultimate test because no one knows you like the guys you play in conference. It's a fair point, but again, the cards just have not been dealt out in Oklahoma's favor when it comes to conference play. Do they have two series win in conference? I believe that's what it is by my yeah, count at this point in time. Yeah, looking at making this number three, but the, the cookie just hasn't crumbled in a way that we expected it to after the start that this program had to the season. Now, I get scheduling. I get preparing for success or propelling yourself towards successes with that non-conference portion of the schedule, but you're right, Matt. The rubber meets the road when you hit Big 12 play, when you hit conference play, regardless of which league it is. And if you want to be successful, if you want to make a deep run in the postseason, it all starts right there. You've got to prove yourself on that proving ground specifically. And like I said, I just that confidence I once had in Oklahoma, it's quickly fading. Uh, yeah, I feel you. Again, it goes back. But look, here, here's the thing. If they beat Texas, if they sweep or take two of three, you, not only will you have a then little bit of Then we're well, back. We're back. Right. Not only will you have a little <laughs> bit of restored confidence in them, but they'll have – and, and that, that walk on Saturday night in Bedlam was huge for them uh, in that area. That's why they, I believe they were more competitive on Sunday. They're like, guys, we have a chance. And, and, and I feel like maybe you have the reverse effect if you're Texas and you lose this first game on Thursday night, then you know you're done. I mean, if you lose that game – what do we have left to play for? The last thing Oklahoma wants to do is lose that that first game in the series because the longer you the longer you wait to put them away, the more you're kind of feeding their confidence and they're growing. You know, they're they're gaining momentum. What you want to do is squelch that out of them and not leave them any hope left. And the way you do that is you take the series. You I mean you you put a nail in their coffin on Thursday night and then Friday and Saturday. They're just basically cleaning out their lockers and getting ready for for summer vacation, whereas you're still fighting for, you know, not just your your postseason berth in the Big 12. You're still fighting for your postseason berth in Bricktown. Uh, you're fighting for your postseason berth in the NCAA tournament. So let's if yep. you're cool with this, Rich, let's let's close this out. We've got a few minutes left. I want to talk a little bit of NBA because I want to talk with you about this. Last week, but we ran out of time. We got about 10 minutes here uh, that we can play around with some Oklahoma City Thunder talk. You cool with that? Uh huh. Well, before we go there, I want to I want to point out something that you were totally right on. Uh, has nothing to do with basketball. I want to go back to the very top of the show with softball. Uh, you you talked about you called the Stillwater Regional a long long time ago, um, and I kind of fought you on that. Really not thinking it was going to happen, but. Uh, when you when you look at Oklahoma as the number one team in the country, the number one overall seed, and then you see that not only is Oklahoma State but Texas also hosting regionals, uh, just goes to speak to the not just the um, the the power of the Big 12 Conference, but the level of respect that this conference gets uh, nationally with the upper the upper half of the teams. Which is why it was so weird that Baylor wasn't even in the conversation, wasn't even in the picture late in the season. I believe they started in the top 25, but Matt, 
Oklahoma's here to stay. Everybody else is just playing catch up at this point in time. I don't care if it's the Big 12, the Pac-12, the SEC, the ACC, the Big 10, whoever that may be. People are trying to emulate the sustained success that Patty Gasso has had here in Norman. <laughs> and that's kind of, I really feel like that's the measuring stick nationally. And so, like I said, it's, will a team actually rise to compete or are they just going to steal one from Oklahoma every now and then? I think ultimately they will. I mean, this obviously is not NBA talk, but I think, I, again, I'm, I'm, you look at uh, what's going on in Stillwater, that's, you know, a leaf off of the Patty Gasso coaching tree. And then you look at what Mike White, I'm not a big Mike White fan, but you look at what's going on in Texas and, and just the national, the, the reputation he has nationally for his days at Oregon, he's going to continue to pull in. He's going to continue to pull in recruits from the West coast because of, of his connections, his inroads he already had. Texas will be a team that will continually get better. Uh, but I think uh, clearly, you know, Baylor failed. The ba Baylor's dropped. They're, they they were the worst team in the conference this year. Kansas, Kansas, uh, Kansas and um, Iowa State struggled uh, to keep up with the upper half of, of the league. But those those three, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State and Texas, I, I think for the for the coming for the near future, you're going to see some really good battles between those three programs. All right, here's what I want to talk to you about, NBA. Uh, we, we know, I mean, everybody knows Oklahoma City Thunder, they're done. Uh, third year in a row, bounced out in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Number six seed, how do you feel about this roster, Rich? Do you, do you feel like there has to be a major shakeup with this roster? I, I don't think there has to be a major shakeup. When I look at Oklahoma City, the one thing they're lacking comparatively, <laughs> excuse me, to the other teams in the Western Conference has been consistent three-point shooters. They really haven't had that, and that that's not just this year. You could go back to last year and the year before that, talk about these first-round exits. If you've got a guy like Paul George who can shoot that three-pointer, it's not his go-to weapon. It's not his choice or his first choice, I wouldn't believe. And it certainly isn't Russell Westbrook's. Westbrook, to me, is more of a guy who's, who's going to draw all of the attention by motioning towards the rim. Paul George can be that slasher and do those. Paul George is more of an all-around guy. Any, any statement I make could apply to him, but I look at Russell Westbrook as a guy who draws all of that attention with his first step towards the basket. It's finding those kickouts. It's finding those guys who can consistently knock down that three-point, who will punish the teams who collapse or who attempt to flood the lane when they play Oklahoma City. Well, see, I agree, and I think that's exactly why this team needs to have a little bit of a roster shakeup because there's nobody who consistently hit from outside, and and it it appears that that that's the way that this team wants to play. That's that's going to be their idea. Well, that's the trend in the NBA. Well, but Oklahoma City's not that team. They they can't do it. They they've proven for three years in a row they cannot do that. But to get that guy, that that solid guy, that Bradley Beal like guy, that that Clay Thompson guy, somewhere on, in that mold, who's just is a sharpshooter from outside, you got to give something up. You, you can't with your roster structure with Stephen Adams, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook. You can't do it consistently with those guys. So you you got to make a change because I, I am not going to buy into the well. We'll improve. Uh, over the offseason, we'll get healthy, and next year we'll make a better run at it. We'll be in a better position than we were this year. I'm not buying into that because we've heard that. This is now the third year in a row that we've heard that from this team. It's not going to happen. They've got to improve. Now, here's and look. Here's the other thing that you got to look at. Um, let, let's take the let's just take the eight teams in the playoffs. Okay, let's take the eight seeds. Golden State, they're probably going to lose Kevin Durant. There's question marks about Klay Thompson, but they're probably going to lose Kevin Durant. So even with well, Klay Thompson's the answer to the problem. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. You, but look, let, let's say Golden State loses Kevin Durant. As things stand right now, with nothing else changing, who do you take, Golden State or Oklahoma City? I mean, you take Golden State. 
Okay, so let's go to the number two seed, the Denver Nuggets. They're 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 going to have basically everyone back mm-hmm. next year. Who do you take, Denver, who swept Oklahoma City this last season, or Oklahoma City? I I take Denver, and it's it's the physical style that they bring that really challenges Oklahoma. Look, Rich, City. it's this way. It's this way all the way down the board. The Houston Rockets will be better than Oklahoma City next year. The only team that I could say probably. Oklahoma City would be better then if nothing changes would be Utah. And that's still a question mark because the Jazz bounced Oklahoma City out the year before. But San Antonio and then you got the Clippers who jumped in at the number eight seed. They've got money. They're making moves. It's you know, if you listen to the guys at ESPN, they yeah, but Matt, they're they're not going to be better than Oklahoma City. You're telling me if they add Kawhi Leonard, they're not going to be better than Oklahoma City. I don't think they're going to add Kawhi Leonard. Well, I mean, that, he, here's the reason why is because of that game seven game winning shot. That now, I think Kawhi, that cemented Kawhi Leonard in in Toronto for at least uh, a couple years worth of a contract. I think you're crazy. I I don't think there's any way he's he's no. There's just no. It's he's not okay. going to okay. be in. He's a he will be a free agent. Toronto will have a shot at him, but he's going to be he's going to declare free agency. And if you listen to the guys at ESPN, they're saying it's already a done deal. <laughs> I don't so, ever listen to the guys at ESPN. Here's the thing. I mean, and and the reality is, people don't want to admit this, but even Kevin Durant's a, a player for the Clippers. They they've got room, salary cap room for two big name players. They made the playoffs with really with Gallinari being their top guy. They were able to make the playoffs with with Gallinari and Lou Williams. Mm-hmm. You're telling me if you add one superstar like Kawhi Leonard, you don't think they'll be better than the Thunder are? No, basketball's a, a bigger piece than just one person. I mean, you could add LeBron James to the Lakers. Oh wait, that did happen. And well, guess that, what? They didn't make the playoffs. That's, that's where I'm going next because the Lakers. They're going to get a big name free agent as well to come in there with LeBron James. They're are they be- though? Or are they just? Are they going to look at just drafting someone? No, no. There, there's no way. Like if they go just with drafting, then they're going to have to dump LeBron James. There's no way that he's going to stay in that market with that franchise if they don't put an immediate star around him well, to give him a chance to make a run. And and, and I'm right. saying. That may be the case, but if that's the case, he's gone. The, the Lakers will end up trading LeBron James before they try just to build from scratch. I say they're going to go after a big-nine free agent. And if you add a, a top-notch point guard, you add a shooting guard to that roster, then all of a sudden you're the putting The Lakers? A- yes. The you're, Lakers you're- have those. They do not. Who's their top? Matt, they are, they are not going to replace. They can't replace Lonzo Ball. Of course they can't. He- He's he's their point guard. You who think they're just gonna trade him off? Yes, he's their point guard who can't stay healthy. They, I mean, there's, they're, but even even if they don't go point guard, they're gonna be in on Anthony Davis. Well, here's Anthony the thing, Davis. Matt. Right, let's just okay. Let's say they keep. Let's. They uh, well, hang on, hang on a second, okay? Because they can lose Rajon Rondo. Not a big deal. I don't think they're losing Lonzo Ball. I don't. I don't think anything's going to happen with Kyle Kuzma. The only other player that I see being off would be a guy like Brandon Ingram to make room for a shooting guard. Well, let's let's say for for the sake of your argument, let's say they keep Lonzo Ball, which I think is a terrible decision because not only is he overrated as a point guard, his dad comes with him. But that said, let's say they keep him and they add Anthony Davis. Yeah, Anthony Davis is a game changer, and and he's a game changer for anybody. Well, but that's what I'm saying. Everybody is is moving up. You know, everybody's moving mm-hmm. up. Oklahoma City can't stay where they are, and I know you can. You and I can disagree on the Clippers whether they become a contender. I I'm telling you, I feel oh I'm not that. I'm not saying they're a contender. I think they're a playoff contender. Well, I just don't I'm think saying, they're going to contend for the top three seeds. I'm saying if they add Kawhi Leonard. They become. Yeah, I still don't think it happens. But that's what I'm saying. We can disagree on that. But okay. But the reality is everybody's moving. Oklahoma Mm -hmm. City can't stand pat. They 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 have to move. But here's where the problem adds to that is you got to move because this team, the way it is right now, is not contending for an NBA championship. But who do you move? Because you've got the untouchables. Paul George is an untouchable. Russell Westbrook's an untouchable. That only leaves Steven Adams. 
and he's got a contract that's in such a way that it, you would be hard pressed to find someone who will take a hundred million dollar contract on a big man who's limited only to the inside the way the NBA is these days. Yeah, well, here's what's crazy, Matt. The, the flip side of this argument, let's go back prior to, I know you've got to go, um, and I'll say this really quickly, and then we can sign off, okay? Let's go back before the All-Star break. Oklahoma City became one of the best three-point shooting teams uh, anywhere in the league. It didn't matter if that was West West or Western Conference or Eastern Conference. Then all-star break happens, and they quickly back off. I, I don't know if it's a mentality shift. I don't know if it's a confidence level. I don't know what it is, but I think there's potential on the Oklahoma City roster, specifically looking at a guy like Terrence Ferguson. But outside of that, I don't think you need a ton of three-point shooters. You just need that one who can consistently make opponents pay when they collapse into the lane. Like I said, can that be Ter Terrence Ferguson? He showed that before the All-Star break. Can he do it consistently throughout the duration of a season? That's what's yet to be seen. Well, I mean, like I said I'm not buying it because that's that's the, what you're saying is what has been said for now the third year in a row. If that guy was there, he would be there. They don't have him. They they just they don't have him. And there's the conundrum when it comes to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah. Hey, thanks for yeah. listening. You can catch us uh, on iTunes, Spotify, harlan-sports.com. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, give us some thoughts, comments, whether you agree or disagree. Hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Have a great afternoon. Boomer Sooner, everybody.